You know, there's a fascinating account in the Bible in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, an account about a rich man and the kingdom of God. But what it is really about is the life that Jesus came to give us. But in order for this life to happen, we need to leave everything to follow him. Let me read those verses for you. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Uh, honor your father and mother. The teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, at, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. A powerful, influential man approached Jesus to ask his weighty spiritual questions. Jesus didn't lower the bar. He upped the ante. He raised the bar. Again, look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What's so amazing I find in this text is that before Jesus asked this man to leave everything to follow him, Jesus looked at the man and loved him. Of course, it's with an agape love, a love that denotes unselfish affection on Jesus' part. Max Lucado writes, agape love writes the check when the balance is low. It forgives the mistake when the offense is high. It offers patience when stress is abundant and extends kindness when kindness is rare. And of course, the famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, uses the same word, but it uses it in the, in the uh, verbal form, uh, that in, just like it is used here, that for God so agapeoed, agapoeo is love, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And one thing you have to understand about our God and his love for us is that it is rooted in devotion. And this is the key to understanding here the Mark 10 text and the rich man's request of Jesus. When it says Jesus loved the man, agapaoed the man, with unselfish affection, he then asked him to leave his wealth and devotion to wealth and come follow him. He wanted what was best for this man who had everything that everyone could ever want on the outside but still lived with this void on the inside. And by the way, Jesus didn't just challenge others to leave their own wills behind. He too lived a life of faith. He touched people when, and, and, uh, and the people that others would not associate with, like lepers or prostitutes or tax collectors. He was gracious toward all kinds of sinners. And he stood bravely in the face of danger, which put him on the brink of death many times. And eventually, it resulted in death by crucifixion. And Jesus is the one who said that, that we could do what he did and even more. Now, please know that Jesus never asks us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. And he calls us to a life of faith, not necessarily a life of comfort. Instead of coming to him for a safe, easy, stress-free life, 
the Son of God challenges us to risk loving others more than ourselves and to love God first and foremost uh, more than the th- and instead of and, and more than the things of this world. So instead of in devoting ourselves to our regular daily indulgences, Jesus calls us to deny them for the sake of something eternal. And he says as much in John chapter 13, verse 34, where he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. Now, please, please, please understand the teaching of God's word here. Love for others begins not by giving love, but by receiving the love of Christ. Again, John 13, 34, the first part there. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now I invite you to look with me to another writing of the Apostle John. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And it says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, his one and only son, into the world that we might love through, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And then drop down to verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Have you come to know by experience the love that God has for you? You know, I've had a couple of remarkable experiences in a one-week stretch in the month of December. I received calls on uh, consecutive weeks from two different men in our area, our region here, bright, deep-thinking, scientific men who were in the last quarter, maybe even the last decade or the last years of their lives, both who happened to be agnostic. They didn't believe in God but didn't, weren't sure there wasn't a God. But they wanted to talk with a minister about if there is a God. And I was able to share a number of important apologetic truths about creation, intelligent design, the infallibility of the Word of God, the incredible textual evidence for the Scriptures, including the Dead Sea Scrolls. I got to share the gospel and man's dilemma with sin and the problem of evil, as well as my own testimony, including how my life has been radically transformed by God. I shared some situations I've lived through, some challenging experiences and circumstances that defy clear human explanations going beyond just coincidences. I was also able to state the fact that I know of God's love for me, like what verse 16 here says. And when I did this, I could tell that one of the men longed for the same thing as he actually got very emotional. And he started to weep and to sob at that moment. But he wasn't completely ready 
to receive Christ yet are completely sold out on believing in God. So I left behind with him a Steps to Peace with God track, knowing his scientific mind and having worked in that field his entire life, that he would uh, devour this little tract. I left it with him, and there's a Christian, close Christian friend he has, who's the one who actually encouraged him to come and talk to me. So I know that he's going to be followed up completely, but it was an amazing experience to have and to be able to share what verse 16 says. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us, and that would touch someone else's heart in that moment to share that. Well, 1 John 5, 1 and 2 happens to be our theme. Verse 1 is our theme verse for the year. But listen to what they say here in chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. John 15, verse 12 says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. I think you're getting the message now. There are actually 11 such statements like this in the Bible. Three are in the Gospel of John, and they're given to us by Jesus. Three are in the writings of Paul, in Romans and in 1 Thessalonians. One is by the Apostle Peter in the book of 1 Peter, and four of them are in John's letters. And we've looked at basically three of them here in 1 John, but there's also another one in 2 John. So back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 now, where it says, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. I'm going to ask you today, have you believed the love that God has for you? Have you come to understand that? Come to experience the love that God has for you? Well, maybe you're saying, well, I don't know if God loves me. Or I, I used to believe that in the past that God loved me, and, and, but I haven't believed that so much lately. Or, or I don't think God loves a person like me or that God could love a person like me. Well, let me say this. We don't love others because they are lovable. Only the husband of my wife is always lovable. Just kidding. I was, I was, I was just checking if you're paying attention or you're kind of cold and groggy out there today. But the truth be told, it's actually the opposite in our marriage because my wife Cindy uh, fits that bill a, a whole lot better than I do. But people can be cranky. They can be stubborn and selfish and unkind and rude and cruel and angry. And I could go on and on and on. We love people because we have come to believe the love that God has for us. We are beneficiaries of an undeserved, unexpected, undeniable gift, God's love. And the truth is, the source of love is not within us. It is in God, and it's only when we discover that and love others out of his love that we truly represent the Lord as his disciples. The saying goes, be loved, then love. We cannot love if we're not first loved. Just as hurt people hurt people, loved people love people. You know, when I went through the ordination process in our denomination, and there, it's a two-stage process. You go before a regional committee called the Committee on Ministerial Standing, which are all elected ministers and, you know, conference superintendents and such in, in a regional area. And we've got 11 of those regional conferences in our denomination. So ours is the Northwest Conference, headquartered down in Minneapolis. So you go through this interview process with them, and then if you pass that, 
or you have rewrites on your paper or any of those things. They work with you on all that stuff. Then they send you on down to the National Board of Ordered Ministry, which is uh, headquartered in the Chicago area, which is made up of, of ministers elected throughout the denomination throughout the United States of America and Canada, as well as some other denominational officials and office holders. And then they take you through a rigorous uh, interview process, and then they pass you on to the annual meeting of the Covenant Church to be voted in or voted up or down as an ordained minister in the Evangelical Covenant Church. Well, that was about two and a half decades ago when I went through that. And the number one concern that both the comms had and the Board of Ordered Ministry had with me was the dysfunctional background of my family of origin that I came from. And they both wanted to make sure that I was continuing to take the necessary steps to heal from all of that. Because they said, wounded people wound people. Hurting people hurt people. And years later, I actually went on to serve on the comms committee for five years, and now I'm finishing up in the next six months my end of my fifth year term on this National Board of Ordered Ministry. And over the years, we have worked with ministers who have gotten themselves into trouble, sometimes suspending their credentials, sometimes not giving them credentials. But what we do when they get themselves into some problems or complications is we hook them up with therapists so they can get counseling and treatment for what they're going through. We hook them up with accountability groups and sometimes treatment for addictions. And it's always with the hope that they can heal up from their own hurts and their own injuries so they can become a healer again, that they can receive their credentials back or maybe get their credentials in the first place. But back to my story now. One of the greatest blessings of my life is when people in our church would watch our children when they were younger, when they were growing up, and when Cindy and I would have to go away for meetings or conferences or just get a little getaway ourselves or even go out on a date, they would many times say that our children are so loving. They're so appreciative. They're so thankful. Sometimes they say, what did you do or what are you doing with your children that they're like that? And for me, from my background, growing up in a dysfunctional family, being unloved in so many ways, to hear that was reinforcement of my experience of God's love for me, God's love in my life, because it's changed my life. I can love my wife. I can love my children. I can love my family. I can love others, not out of the deficits in my life, but out of God's abundance of love for me. Amen? That's how we love out of folks. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from ourselves and it doesn't come from our backgrounds, I can tell you that. By the way, we have some amazing testimonies right now of healing that are going on in our church as a result of our sermon series that we had this last uh, fall called Mending Broken Relationships. One person has gone to dozens of people to apologize and seek forgiveness for past actions that have injured others. And I am so proud of this person. I have been so blessed by the steps that this person is taking, having been hurt in their own past and sometimes acting out of that hurt, but realizing that they don't want to act out anymore and hurt others by doing that. And so they're making these steps and taking these steps to change. God has worked in their hearts through this series, Mending Broken Relationships. Another has to do with someone who has not spoken with a sibling, and the sibling alienated themselves from the family of origin for 34 years. This person has so distanced themselves from the family that they didn't even attend four of their siblings' uh, funerals during that time. And because this person in our church stepped out in faith expressing God's love, it broke the ice. 
And now these family members are communicating with one another. Be loved, then love. Loved people love people. So let God love you. And let me tell you something. God's love is too wonderful to measure. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19 has to say about God's love. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, rooted and established in love, being part of God's family now, remember, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. With all God's holy people, to be able to grasp how high, how wide, how long, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And by the way, this love that's being talked about here is not regulated by the receiver. This is what Moses had to say about God's love that we can have and that we can live in, in in the family of God. Here's what he had to say in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 about that. The Lord did not set his affections on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept his oath that he swore to your ancestors. Does God love us just because we're nice people? or because we're hardworking people, or because of our kindness, or our, our devotion to Him, or our devotion to the church, or even our devotion to our marriages, or to our families, or our children. No, God loves us because of God's goodness, because of God's grace, because of God's kindness, and God's devotion. God loves us because He chose us. He loves us when we don't deserve to be loved. He loves us when we don't feel very lovely. He loves us when we're loved by no one else. Others may abandon us. They may reject us. They may ignore us. They may deny us. They may dismiss us and even divorce us. But God says, I will love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I like the way the message paraphrase of Romans chapter 9, verse 25 says it. I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and make them beloved. Now, I do encourage you to read uh, the newsletter article that I wrote for this month because it is our theme for 2022. Don't read it right now, but read it later, of course. But uh, uh, in it, I talk about the fact that there are two families in our church that are allowing us to put signs up on the billboards that they have on their property. One is right here on the west side of Highway P, uh, so travelers that are traveling east can see it right alongside the road, and the other just before Highway P here. The other is about a mile and a half up Highway 2 uh, to the east, so travelers that are coming west can see it right on the right-hand side of the road. And we put, of course, uh, on this, uh, these, these billboards a sign of the church in the background with the church's logo, and then you have a family that's walking toward the church, and our motto on the marquee is loving God loving others. 
This is our theme now for 2022 here at Mission Covenant Church. And our elder board, through praying about this last fall and discussing all of the polarization that exists in our culture, felt like we needed to go in this direction for this next year. When you think of the polarization just around the COVID-19 pandemic, you've got people that are anti-vaxxers, you know, that don't believe in putting that kind of stuff in your body. And you have other people that in our culture right now that if you're not vaccinated, if you're not getting all the boosters, if you're not doing all these necessary steps of mitigation and all these kinds of things, you're killing people. You're killing people. And 800,000 people have died. And, and, and we got all this tension that exists over this. And some of that can even seep into the church. And we're taking it very seriously because we've had folks in our church that have been hospitalized, very seriously sick, all of that. We've had one person die in our church from COVID-19. So we're, we're taking that very, very seriously and very concerned about it. But we understand there's a tension. We're supporting people on both sides of this issue. And then look at all the political tension and political strife. And again, this is an election year that's coming up, 2022, midterm elections. There's a lot of people that are very upset about the last election that took place in our nation. And the very fact that uh, Mark Zuckerberg, a very wealthy man, donated $400 million. They're calling them Zuckerbucks now, Zuckerbucks. And it privatized the last election. In our state, we had, in, the, in Brown County alone, we had a county clerk quit because private citizens were taking over the election process and steering the election process and influencing people. And the county clerk was so upset that her role was being taken away from her that she quit and resigned in protest from what was going on. So that stuff's going on and people are all bent out of shape and some of that information's starting to surface from the last election. And we got all this tension, all this polarization going on and the racial tensions critical race theory and all of that we talked about this in our sermon series courageous christianity just last spring and early part of the summer that those tensions aren't going away and there's all of these smash and grab robberies that are going on and the defunding the police movement all these social tensions and social unrest and our elder board felt like we needed to focus this next year on biblical love in the Old Testament, the Israelites were required to recite every single day the Shema. And they were to recite it personally, and they were to recite it to their, in their respective families. So the message of the Shema would not be lost, that that would continue to go forth every single day within the nation of Israel. Shema happens to be the Hebrew word for hear. Hear. And it's the first word of the Shema, the, re the recitation that they were supposed to do every single day in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Well, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, that's a passage where the Pharisees sent an expert in the law. They sent their best. They, 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 they took their brightest and their best, and they sent him to Jesus to test Jesus. They're going to catch him. They're going to trip Jesus up with this one. They're going to test him regarding the greatest commandment that there is in the law. There's 613. Which is the greatest? Which is the greatest? They wanted to know if Jesus would get the Shema. Would he say the Shema and recite it? Because every good, devout Israelite would do that every single day. And Jesus, of course, responded by quoting the Shema. But then he added in verse 39 a second command when, which he said is like this. It's, it's like it, he said. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We have to recognize that I'm beloved by God. And we need to rest in the affection of God. And to that degree, we're able to do that. He will give us the capacity to love others. That's what we're talking about this year. Loving God, loving others. And the truth be told, some people are hard to love because they're not very lovable. And we might have personally stubborn biases or feelings of indifference built up against these people. Or we may be nursing a grudge that we've had over the years. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 tells us that in, when we're in Christ Jesus, behold, we're new creation. The old is past and the new has come. And what that's telling us is that God will not let us live with our old hurts. God doesn't want us to live with our animosities and our hatred and our prejudices. And as God loves flows through us, that we will see people in a different way. And we will treat people in a different way. Verse 16 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. When God loves us and we love God, we can love other people. So we don't view them from just a strictly worldly perspective anymore. Max Lucado in his book, How Happiness Happens, writes in, chap in a chapter that's entitled, Be Loved, Then Love. He says, you have God living inside you. Maybe you've had trouble loving the homeless. God can love them through you. Perhaps your friends taught you to bully the weak or slander the rich. God can create a new attitude. He indwells you. The woman at the grocery counter, she's not just an employee. She is fearfully and wonderfully made by God. The husband at the breakfast table, he's not just a fellow who needs a shave. He's God's creation, destined for a heavenly assignment. The neighbor down the street, he's not a person who forgets to mow his lawn. He's made in the image of God. And 2 Corinthians 5, backing up to verse 14, says, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. What is the motivating force in all of this? It's God's love for us. It's Christ's love that compels us. One died for all, so all have died. We have to die to ourselves, and we have to live for God. And God is the one who places in our hearts an appreciation for a diverse and multifaceted, multi-ethnic world. Self-centeredness wants a uniform world with everyone looking, sounding, and acting the same. But God, God did not create a world like this. And he didn't create human beings like this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word there for workmanship, that's the Greek word poema. And we translate it as workmanship, but what, what it really is, is a word that we get our word poetry from. We are God's poetry to the world. And please notice as well in this verse, the first person plural subject, okay, of this verse. We, the church, all of us, it's not saying you are God's poet, poetic expression to the world even though technically that's partly what it means. It's saying we are. We are together. So in that sense, do we have a right to criticize or to distance ourselves from others because, well, they're a logical thinker or they're an emotional worshiper 
or they're a docile follower of Jesus, or they're, they're a dynamic leader or an outgoing extrovert, or they're an introvert who hardly speaks to anybody, or they're a studious person who ponders everything, or they're an artist who is, is abstract, or they're a generous person who just goes unnoticed but really pays the church's bills. Apart from one another, we are an incomplete message of God's poetry. But together, we are God's workmanship, God's poetic expression to this world. And know this, agape love, God's love, finds beauty in this collage of humanity that exists in this world. And remember, God is with you on this journey called life, the journey of love that we're emphasizing this next year. So when you find people and run into people that are difficult to love in 2022, uh, and some may be really, really hard to love, just pause and ask God for help. He's there. He's closer than you think. And he will not let us walk this path without his help. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, as we uh, are at the forefront of 2022, a year where we hope good things can occur, but Lord, we recognize there can be all kinds of potential threats, challenges, uh, conflict. As we look at the political landscape, as we look at this pandemic that's continuing on, and some even want to extend the pandemic for power reasons or political reasons or whatever. God, as we look to 2022, we see these social tensions that exist in our culture, these racial tensions, all these things, God, that we uh, are deeply concerned with and that, that weigh heavy on our hearts. And God, I thank you for the leadership of our elder board and our church that just really truly believes that what our church needs to focus on in 2022 is biblical love, God's love, and loving God and loving others. So Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would do a great work, just as you've done in, in, in recently in, in just one series on mending broken relationships. But God, you, you do a great work, I pray and trust, in our church in this next year as we look to you and uh, as we live in the love that you have for us. And we pray for this now, asking your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen.